Voice of America. South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington working on this program very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. The United Nations and the government of South Sudan predicts hunger and looming starvation in some parts of South Sudan. And the sad part that often we are not highlighting well is the 1.4 million children that are malnourished. And journalists in South Sudan say they want protection. We do not have a report on what exactly happened, who killed them. Uh, those people have been arrested, uh, investigations taken place, we do not have. That is to the extreme, of course, let alone the small issues that normally happen. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The South Sudan government and three UN agencies are predicting hunger, food insecurity and looming starvation in some parts of South Sudan. For VOA News, Wake Simon Wood reports from Juba. The UN Food and Agriculture Organization, or FAO, the United Nations Children's Fund, or UNICEF, and the United Nations World Food Program, or WFP, and the South Sudan government has released the latest integrated food security phase classification, a highly scientific detailed report on the country's food security. The report indicates 7.76 million people or about two-thirds of the South Sudanese population are likely to face acute food insecurity during the April through July 2023 land season and 1.4 million children will be malnourished. Josephine Lago, South Sudan's Agriculture and Food Security Minister, is calling for urgent action from all stakeholders to address the situation. If we can actually achieve peace across the country, including the, 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 the current areas where there are hot spots, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be halfway really to addressing the issue of food insecurity. So peace building uh, is, is paramount. Second, uh, funding the agriculture sector. Over the past few years, Lagu says the agriculture sector has been underfunded. She says this year's budget sets aside more funds for agriculture compared to previous years, but she says far more resources need to be directed to the sector. The UN agencies project that 2.9 million people will be on the brink of starvation in South Sudan and another 43,000 will be expected to be living in acute food insecurity. The IPC report says central parts of the country which are the most heavily impacted by multi-year flooding are the areas with the highest levels of food insecurity. In Jongle and Unity states, 74 and 77% of their populations respectively are likely to be in crisis or above with the pockets of populations experiencing IPC phase 5 for the period of April to July according to the report. The report also notes that Eastern Equatorial State in the southeast of the country has experienced the most significant deterioration in food insecurity across South Sudan's counties impacted by the Horn of Africa drought. 
Dry conditions have taken hold across the greater Kapoita region and decimated livelihoods as crops and cattle perish. Sara Besolonyanti, the UN resident and humanitarian coordinator for South Sudan, says the IPC report is the product of months of data collection and analysis with the participation from government, UN agencies, NGOs, and other partners. Nicolas Kerandi, head of FAO South Sudan's Food Security and Nutrition, says UN agencies use a methodology called Probability Proportional to Sites, or PPS. He says the areas where data collection is conducted are selected at random based on the population. The South Sudan National Bureau of Statistics generates the areas to be visited randomly and use the list of existing bombers in the country and certain bombers and then selected based on their size, according to Kerandi. He says bombers with higher populations are likely to be selected compared to those with smaller populations. Kerandi adds that the agencies do not sample areas based on socks, such as flooding, cattle rates, fighting, and drought, among others. Mesaka Malo, the country representative for the Food and Agriculture Organization in South Sudan, says there is an urgent need to stabilize the country for the situation to improve. It's really sad numbers of 7.76 million people. And the sad part that often we are not highlighting well is the 1.4 million children that are malnourished. These are kids that, if the situation continues, their brain development could be could be destroyed beyond repair. Lagu called on the international community to get involved and press developed nations to fund certain African countries, in particular that are facing a stronger impact of climate change, like South Sudan. South Sudan is one of the 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 the. the, the the most, you know, severely affected country. So we are a victim of climate change. And that's why we are calling upon the world. We are calling upon the international community. We are calling upon the developed countries who have contributed greatly to climate change, warming of the climate, to, you know, hang on, to, to, to turn around and say, look, you know, that country over there is, you know, suffering because of the impact of our action. Can we support them? Can we support South Sudan? Emmanuel Lado, Undersecretary of the Water Resources and Irrigation Ministry, says the government needs to develop a master plan to guide the country in terms of flood prevention. Lado warned of more severe consequences caused by flooding if the issue is not dealt with as a priority with information based on scientific evidence. The floods are expanding by exceeding. Therefore, the question is, what are we going to do in the Ministry of Water Resources and Irrigation in order to contain this situation? Um, definitely, without any scientific studies, whatever we put forward, we're going to be our thoughts and while you're thinking. The report says dry conditions are dominant across the greater Kapoita region and have affected livelihoods such as crops and cattle. The report says IPC numbers are based on the assumption that people will keep receiving humanitarian food assistance through next year's land season, and if food aid does not arrive, those figures would be worse. 
It also points out that Panyikan County in Upper Nile State, an area with historically high levels of food insecurity, could not be surveyed due to insecurity. The FAO, UNICEF, and the World Food Program all warn that the proposal of people facing high levels of food insecurity and malnourishment is at the highest level ever, surpassing levels seen even during the conflict in 2013 and 2016. The UN agencies blame the situation on a combination of conflict, poor macroeconomic conditions, extreme climate events, and spiraling costs of food and fuel. For VON News, I'm working Simon Wudu in Juba. South Sudan marked the International Day to End Impunity for Crimes Against Journalists with a call to the government to ensure safety and welfare of journalists while performing their duties. The country's government spokesperson and minister of information says journalists should be more professional and acquire accreditation to avoid unnecessary detentions of journalists. For VOA News, Viola Elias reports from Juba. Patrick Oyed, a chairperson of the South Sudan Union of Journalists, who spoke on behalf of journalists at the event commemorating World Impunity Day yesterday in Juba, gave an account of how authorities detained some journalists and shut down media houses in 2021 and 2022. Oyed urged authorities to ensure safety of journalists while doing their work. He says owners of media houses across the country should also increase reporters' salaries to ensure they do not quit to look for greener pastures. He says more than nine journalists have lost their lives since the country gained independence, but in all cases, their killers have not been brought to justice. We do not have a report on what exactly happened, who killed them. Uh, those people have been arrested, uh, investigations taken place, we do not have. That is to the extreme, of course, let alone the small issues that normally happen. Uh, and uh, also there is no accountability. So we hope going forward, moving forward, uh, the situation will get better. Uh, As the conflict in the country dies out, we also hope that the rule of law will take over. John Dungham, Deputy Chief for Political and Economic Affairs at the U.S. Embassy in Juba, says it is very important that journalists commemorate International Day to End Impunity for Crimes Against Journalists due to an increase in the trend of reporters being detained without trials, harassment of journalists, and even torture of journalists by individuals who may have disagreed with their content of their work. Dungham says society depends on journalists for accurate information he praised the U.S. government for helping to boost the morale of journalists and sharing democratic values such as transparency and accountability. This is our job to promote, promote good journalism, to promote journalists, to combat against impunity for crimes against journalism. That's, that's an on, that task is an honor for us to follow. Thank you for, for asking the difficult questions. I will thank you again for that. Your role for our, for our society, our global society, as well as the national society, is extremely vital. Speaking at the same event, Eliaja Alierkwe, managing director at the South Sudan Media Authority, says there are no journalists behind bars in the country. He says there are fewer media violations and complaints against journalists compared to the previous years in South Sudan. Media violations and complaints against journalists have significantly reduced in 2022 compared to 
the previous five years as we promote responsible professional media in the public interest. This is due to the great awareness on media regulation coupled with the implementation of the revitalized agreement on the resolution of the conflict in South Sudan. Media Authority has commenced the accreditation of national journalists with the aim to certify recognition of the working journalists and other media practitioners. At the same Juba event, Information Minister Michael Makwe insisted that there is freedom of media in South Sudan, adding that no journalist has been sentenced or taken to court for committing a crime. He urged journalists to strictly abide by their professional work ethics while carrying out their duties. The most important thing for a journalist is to strictly observe his professional ethics, strictly observe the rules and regulations of the game. If you don't do that, then you are lost, then you are you, you I'm not a journalist. So this is what I can say about uh, about, about the, the journalists. I say congratulations to you, the journalists of South Sudan, despite our meager resources, doing well. I have ever been saying, please be a free journalist. And for you to be free, you must be self-reliant. South Sudanese journalist Daniela Imoya of Juba Broadcasting Service or JBS TV, an online media outlet, says World Impunity Day enables journalists to reflect on their roles in society, including the challenges that female journalists face in particular. Journalists are not recognizable enough. Um, they are subjected to, for example, there was a, a case in High Court where journalists were supposed to, to cover, and we were, we were obviously subjected to, uh, to that kind of harassment by being asked our identification even thought there were some visible features that we had. Confuscus Joseph Tombe, a journalist with the Juba-based Equator Broadcasting Corporation, says journalists should be given space to move digitally when disseminating information. He urges colleagues to be professionals and adhere to the journalistic code of conduct. There is a need for us to also adhere to our professional guidelines whereby we can able to seize that, uh, we can able to produce what is tangible that change our society on the other narrative. Uh, as a servant, we should continue producing what is the best professionally, accurately, and in time. This year's International Day to End Impunity for Crimes Against Journalists was commemorated under the team Internet Transparency and Safety of Female Journalists. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba. From Juba, we move to South Africa, where the international community has been surprised by the comprehensive peace deal agreed to yesterday in South Africa by the warring sites in Ethiopia's Tigray region. The Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, has been fighting Ethiopian government and Eritrean government troops for the past two years, claiming their people were victims of, quote, ethnic cleansing. But human rights groups say all sides have committed war crimes with the conflict killing hundreds of thousands and displacing millions. For VOA News, Darren Taylor reports. The agreement's been signed almost exactly to the day that the war started. Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed sent troops into Tigray on November 4, 2020, after accusing the TPLF of attacking federal army bases. 
The TPLF was at the center of government in Ethiopia for almost 30 years, with the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, the EPRDF. But in 2018, it lost power to Abiy's Prosperity Party. Abiy, an Oromo leader in a multi-ethnic country, had been a member of the EPRDF. Since 1991, it had jailed opponents, suppressed the media and been accused of human rights abuses. When Abi became leader, he instituted sweeping reforms, released thousands of political prisoners and unbanned media and exiled opposition parties. He promised to end ethnic division and unite Ethiopia. In 2019, he won the Nobel Peace Prize for helping to end 20 years of territorial tension between his country and neighboring Eritrea. But the Tigray crisis has marred Abiy's legacy and he's now accused of perpetrating the same atrocities he once condemned. Ethiopian political commentator Dr. Desta Megu says the agreement signed in South Africa is much wider than the one broken in August last year. Humanitarian aid, infrastructure, as you mentioned, government administration, political resolve starts immediately. One of the distinctions in the agreement is to open up channels of communication with commanders on both sides within five days regarding disarmament and security. So again, but there weren't just two sides involved in the conflict. University of Limpopo Horn of Africa observer Victor Gomeswana says there's no reason for Eritrea to continue its military presence in Tigray as long as the TPLF sticks to the agreement. If you know the regional and geopolitical tensions that created Eritrea in the first place, you will understand the bigger sovereign respect should go to Ethiopia and it must be allowed to do what Abe Ahmed had started in unifying the Horn of Africa. Because it's when that unification is respected and upheld that intra-Africa coordination, trade and investment and collaboration can be attained. Magu's happy the truce emphasizes that Tigrayans are Ethiopians, entitled to the same rights and services as people living in Addis Ababa. While we're not celebrating the deaths and the absolute tragedies that have ravaged the country and, and people's lives and livelihoods, we are celebrating the fact that Africa has come together to say, silence the guns. And we did it within the Pan-African context with the African Union guiding there in South Africa with our brothers and sisters. And so again, the... Khomeswana acknowledges Africa's littered with broken peace deals. He's con- Convinced the success of the newest agreement rests almost entirely with the TPLF. If they go back home and say, people, we are part of Ethiopia, let's respect the sovereign integrity of our country, it will hold. But what I'm glad about is part of the agreement is restoration of humanitarian aid. The other stuff will depend on TPLF and whether they can honor this agreement. Because I'm sure that Abiy Ahmed as prime minister has never been interested in fueling conflict. I'm sure it depends on TPLF. If they get mischievous again, it will not hold. The TPLF says it's ready to implement and expedite the agreement and to help chart a new path of peace for Ethiopia. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg.
listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. Coming up, world leaders react to the truce between Ethiopia and the Tigray People's Liberation Front. Find out more after the break. is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. November 4th marks two years since conflict broke out in Ethiopia's Tigray region between Tigrayan forces and the federal government and its regional allies, including neighboring Eritrea. Analysts say the war has left hundreds of thousands of people dead, millions displaced, and a trail of atrocities and war crimes on both sides. But a truce announced yesterday after South African hosted peace talks led by the African Union has raised hopes that fighting could end. Mohammed Yusuf reports from VOA's Africa News Center in Nairobi. Ethiopia's government and the Tigray rubber group have agreed to end the two-year conflict after a week of talks in South Africa. Speaking after the agreement, former Nigerian President Olesegun Obasanjo said the deal marked a new dawn for Ethiopia. The two parties in the Ethiopian conflict have formally agreed to the cessation of hostilities as well as to systematic, orderly, smooth and coordinated disarmament, restoration of law and order, restoration of services, unhindered access to humanitarian supplies, protection of civilians, especially women, children, and other vulnerable groups, among other areas of agreement. The agreement comes after 10 days of talks in Pretoria, South Africa, mediated by the African Union, led by Obasanjo. The deal calls for the Tigray rubber group to lay down their arms in exchange for reintegration and the return of the National Army to the region. With mistrust on both sides, experts say this part of the agreement may be difficult to fulfill. The warring factions also agreed to end hate speech that has foiled much of the two-year-old conflict. The agreement is seen as a major breakthrough after the warring sides failed to come to the table to find ways to end the war that has claimed the lives of tens of thousands and displaced millions. Obasanjo said the agreement will be followed through. The agreement also takes care of assurance of security for all concerned within and outside Ethiopia, monitoring, supervising, verification of implementation will be carried out by the AU high-level panel. What you have achieved against from both sides, working together among yourselves, we salute you, we commend you, and we congratulate you. Tigray rebel group spokesperson Getachu Reda warned of spoilers who will try to sabotage the peace deal. Reda said his side has made a painful concession and called on the international community to ensure the peace agreement is implemented. 
speaking at an online press briefing organized by Refugees International, Solomon Mizgebu, president of the Tigray Human Rights Forum, said this time Prime Minister Abi Ahmed will have to abide by the agreement. Unfortunately, Abi is determined and his main motive going to this negotiation, as he has demonstrated for the last uh, two years, is buying time, buying time, buying time. He's stuck now because there are witnesses. It's now a formal process. It's now a very structured process. Uh, heavyweight folks are involved in this process. So this is a very good start, even though I don't have high hopes, but it's a very good start because the world is witnessing who is saying what and who is doing what. So I think it would have some pressure. It would be still dictated about what's happening in the ground. I mean, he would continue to buy time, to try to buy time. I'm not sure he would continue to do uh, He would have those opportunities again. In a statement, Abi Ahmed said the agreement was a monumental in moving Ethiopia forward. He said his government was committed to implementing the agreement. Ethiopian forces in the two-year conflict have received military backing from Eritrea to push forces from Tigray and concerns were raised about how Asmara will react to the agreement. Abdullahi Halake is a Refugees International Senior Advocate for East and Southern Africa. He says the influence of Eritrea in the conflict in the north of Ethiopia cannot be wished away. I think... Um that is probably one of the weaknesses of this um, this peace process, the way it's structured. I mean, I can appreciate the wisdom behind it. Part of it was, you know, to get Abiy away from uh, Eritrea so that you can create a, a symmetry where now Abiy uh, feels like he has to negotiate. But the danger there is really Abiy is practically beholden to Asmara. His military is fairly decimated. He doesn't have a ton of, uh, you know, forces apart from the conscription that and, and, and also the final militia. So it's very it's a very high wired uh, position that has been ha, has been taken uh, by the international community, particularly the United States. So we are really stuck with Asmara for foreseeable future. Ethiopian forces and the Tigray rebel group reached a similar agreement to end the fighting earlier this year, but the two sides resumed fighting in August, breaking an almost five-month-long ceasefire. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Still on Ethiopia, the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, says the U.S. welcomes the momentous step taken in Pretoria Wednesday to advance the African Union's campaign to silence the guns with the signing of a cessation of hostilities between the government of Ethiopia and the Tigray People's Liberation Front. He commended the parties for taking the initial step to agree to end the fighting and continue dialogue to resolve of outstanding issues to consolidate peace and bring an end to almost two years of conflict. Blinken also said the U.S. welcomes the unimpeded delivery of humanitarian assistance and the protection of civilians that should result from implementation of the agreement. The U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres also welcomed the signing of the agreement for lasting peace through a permanent cessation of hostilities between the government of the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia and the Tigray People's Liberation Front. He said the agreement is a critical first step towards 
ending the devastating two-year-old conflict in which the lives and the livelihoods of so many Ethiopians have been lost. The Secretary-General urges all Ethiopians and the international community to support the bold step taken by the federal government of Ethiopia and the Tigrayan leadership. That's all we prepared for you this Thursday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you missed this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with Daniel Ding singing in his native Denka language. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us this evening. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.